Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In 1330 BCE, Egypt's new king received his crowns. Horemheb, once a high-ranking administrator and general, now ruled the two lands. But Horemheb came to power in unusual circumstances. And to justify his rule, the new pharaoh set about retelling his origins. In a lengthy story, Horemheb cast himself as one chosen by the gods and destined to rule. Welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 162, The Chosen One. Today, we refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. We believe it is this... Hmm, sorry, wrong history. Today, we refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to Ma'at, who will destroy falsehood, not join them. A man perpetually in charge of the high ground. The supreme general, governor, and now pharaoh. This is the prophecy of Hor M. Heb, a man who presented himself as the chosen one for a new generation. This episode comes to you on behalf of Will from Ogden's Diner in Madison, Wisconsin. Will was a guest on the tour to Egypt in March 2022, and on returning to the USA, he kindly dispatched a food parcel full of delicious treats. Will, thank you kindly for your offerings. My family and the great gods have bellies full of salted caramel chocolate, sweet and chili salted nuts, and the most intensely flavoured lemon-lime chili tortilla chips I've ever encountered. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. And if you're ever in the region of Madison, drop by Ogden's Diner, a veritable temple to the culinary gods. And if you are there, say hi to the chef, Will. Tell him Egypt sent you. The year was 1330 BCE, roughly speaking, and Egypt had a new pharaoh. Horemheb, Horus in celebration, had claimed power. His rise may have been unorthodox, perhaps even violent, but after receiving the crowns and the praise of people and gods, Horemheb was mostly secure. But Horemheb's origins do seem to have been a cause for concern, in his proclamations, the new king spent a lot of time and effort describing his background. And in the process, Horemheb cast himself as the god's chosen king. Last time, we covered Horemheb's coronation inscription, or at least we covered half of it. The second half of that text was concerned with the celebrations and honouring of the new pharaoh. 
But along with his tale of ceremonies, gods, and crowns, Horemheb also spent time explaining why he was king. And as we will see, his version of events is detailed, elaborate, and more than a little imaginative. The coronation inscription opens with King Horemheb's titles. We covered those last episode, but one title is particularly important. As pharaoh, Horemheb called himself Josa Kebaru Ra Setep En Ra. Today, we are interested in that Setep En Ra section. Roughly translated, Setep En Ra means one chosen by Ra. The idea is simple enough. It presents the pharaoh as God's chosen representative. In this case, the representative of Ra, the supreme creator, the father of all. Horemheb is not the first king to use Setep En Ra as part of his identity. At least four other rulers used it before him. For those interested, the phrase chosen by Ra appears on monuments for Amunhotep III, Tutmose IV, Tutmose III, and Tutmose I. So the name has pedigree. And after Horemheb, many other kings would use Setep En Ra as part of their identity. You're going to hear this phrase a lot in future episodes. The point is, Horemheb presented himself, first and foremost, as a king chosen by the gods. It was not a new idea, but Horemheb took the concept and ran with it. And he used the title in some rather unusual ways. So as the coronation inscription begins with the king's official names, the audience knew right away who this man was. A king chosen by the gods. Following those titles, Horemheb begins his story. And like many stories, he begins in childhood. Literally. The coronation inscription opens with a description of Horemheb's birth. Here, our tale begins. Quote, He... Horemheb, emerged from the womb, clothed in splendour. The complexion of a god was upon him, and his name. And people bent the arm to him when he was a child. The great ones and the small ones, that is, the elites and the commoners, kissed the ground before him. Offerings and supplies were given to him, even though he was a child who did not understand. End quote. The stealer does not waste any time. Horemheb sets out his version of events, and he does so in grand fashion. According to the king, his first appearance was like a deity coming to earth. From the very beginning, he was a prince, the god's heir to power. And the gods not only favoured Horemheb, they guided him. In the next portion, the great lord Horus comes forth to care for his chosen boy. And over many years, Horus would protect Horemheb as he grew up. Quote, his father Horus placed himself behind him, behind Horemheb. The one who created him was making his protection. One generation passed, and another arrived, and his father Horus kept him safe. For Horus knew the day on which he would retire, to give Horemheb his kingship. So this god distinguished his son in the sight of everybody, for he desired to widen his stride, until the day of receiving his office. End quote. Here, we get a condensed history of the entire Amana period. In case you missed that, Horemheb mentions how, 
one generation passed and another arrived. Basically, he skips 20 to 30 years of history. Fair enough, maybe his youthful days were uneventful. What mattered is that Horus, the great god of kingship, was looking out for him, protecting him, and preparing him for the inevitable day when he would rule. Already, the stela is quite clear. The gods have chosen Hormheb as the leader. They want him to be king in the future, and in his early life, they were simply waiting for the right moment. The next portion covers Horemheb's career, specifically the years of power under King Tutankhamun. Once Horemheb appeared on the political stage, everyone recognised his excellence, and the king himself made Horemheb great. Quote, Horus caused Horemheb to be greater than any other of his time. The king's heart was satisfied with his dealings and rejoiced at the sight of him. The king made Horemheb the chief spokesman of the entire land, so that he could secure the laws of the two banks. Horemheb was the hereditary prince of this land in its entirety. He was unique, one without equal. The plans of the two lands were under his control, and everyone rejoiced at the speech that came from his mouth. End quote. So Horemheb was the best of the best, top gun of Egypt's political hierarchy, he secured the laws, and he was excellent of plans. Everybody recognised his greatness. And the king himself, the pharaoh, gave Horemheb supreme executive power. Between the lines, we get a couple tidbits of information. Firstly, Horemheb really emphasised his skill as a governor, an administrator and leader. Constructing his backstory, the new pharaoh favoured an image of wisdom and learning. That might sound strange. We tend to imagine Horemheb as a general, a military man first and foremost. Well, yes, Horemheb was involved with the army, but when it came to his biography, describing his abilities and skills, Horemheb favoured different elements. In his non-royal monuments, Horemheb really emphasised the ideas of learning and wisdom, he generally presented himself as a bureaucrat, much more than a commander. There are social and cultural reasons for that, and I'll get into those another time. But long story short, Horemheb may have been a general, but he was also an administrator. And when it came to self-representation, the new king favoured that aspect of his backstory. According to Horemheb, he was not a man riding into battle at the head of his troops. Instead, he was more of a nerd. This image of learning, skill, and wisdom leads into my favourite part of the text. Having set up his childhood and early career, Horemheb now doubles down on the whole divine patronage favoured of the gods idea. As a learned man, wise and effective in council, Horemheb was building an image. An image of himself as the avatar of a god. Quote, All of Horemheb's plans were like the stride of the ibis bird. His utterances, or speeches, were the very model of the lord of Hesret. He was rejoicing in Ma'at, like the beaky one. 
Horemheb's plans trod upon the path of Ma'at. It is Ma'at who will protect Horemheb on earth for the duration of eternity. End quote. Horemheb billed himself as a wise counsellor, an effective advisor. In other words, he claimed the attributes and skills of Jehuti, aka the god Thoth. Jehuti, the lord of wisdom, the ibis bird, the beaky one, as in he had a long beak when he appeared as a bird, was the advisor to the gods. Jehuti was the master of learning and knowledge. And apparently, Horemheb rather liked Thoth. He invoked him repeatedly in his non-royal and royal career. I will dive into that properly another time, but again, Horemheb presented himself as kind of Thoth on earth. He was the great advisor and counsellor for the king. This was part of his resume, his recommendation for rule. Horemheb was learned, he was skillful, and he was wise. And he would follow the traditional path, the path of Ma'at, of order and justice. So in this section, Horemheb adds to his earlier credentials. Not only was he favoured by Horus, but in life he gained the skills and attributes of Thoth. He was a leader, a natural king, and he was also wise. Not a bad start, as far as biographies go. Following this talk of Jehuti, Thoth, Horemheb returns to his administrative authority. He doubles down on the idea that the king, probably Tutankhamun, made him the supreme leader of the country. Quote, Horemheb acted as the deputy of the two lands for a span of many years. The taxes of the two lands and the deliveries of Upper and Lower Egypt were reported to him, and the councils came to him, bowing at the gate of the king's house. The chiefs of the nine bows, south and north, appealed to him. Their arms were outspread at his approach. They did reverence to his face, as if to a god. All that could be done was done only under his command, and his tread, his splendour, was great in the sight of everyone. On Horemheb's behalf, people requested prosperity and health from the gods, and they were saying, Surely Horemheb is the father of the two riverbanks, with the excellent wisdom that the gods gave. End quote. Horemheb was the supreme leader, commander of government, administrator of Egypt's business. He managed affairs at home and also abroad. Even the foreigners, the nine bows or traditional enemies of Egypt, came to beg his mercy. Put it all together, we have an image of one mighty official. The big question is, is any of that true? This part of the text is interesting because we can fact-check some of it. You see, Horemheb's other monuments, like his tomb at Saqqara, record his titles and show images of Horemheb at work. Surprisingly, some of those records do match with the things that Horemheb says here. For example, when Horemheb says foreigners came to petition him, we can back that up. In the tomb at Saqqara, a large mural shows Horemheb receiving foreigners who come before the throne of Tutankhamun. Also, the various titles that he left in the tomb line up with some of the things that he says in this inscription. 
So when Horemheb talks about governing the two lands, receiving the taxes, and all that jazz, there may be a lot of truth to that. Overall, this part of the text does not exaggerate too much. If Horemheb's tomb provides a roughly accurate image of his career, it seems he did have this power. So Horemheb's backstory sort of mixes reality and some loosely interpreted things. His tale of being guided by Horus and becoming like Thoth. You could give him the benefit of the doubt and say he believed in those ideas. And at the same time, parts of this text do seem to reflect genuine powers and authorities that Horemheb had under Tutankhamun. So the story of Horemheb and his early rise to power is definitely serving a purpose. It's trying to convince the audience that Horemheb deserves to become the pharaoh. But at the same time, there are many aspects that have some truth to them, at least as far as the evidence suggests. Finally, after many years, the moment arrived. Horus was ready to give his favoured son the power, the power for which he was always destined. Quote, Now, when many days had passed, and the eldest son of Horus was deputy of the king and hereditary prince in this entire land, then did this noble god, Horus, the lord of Hutnesu, desire to place his son upon the throne. Horus commanded Horemheb to go to the monument of Amun, and Horus proceeded, rejoicing, to Waset, or Thebes. He went with his son in his embrace to lead Horemheb into the presence of Amun, and to give Horemheb his office of kingship and make his term of rule. End quote. After many years, rising to power and enjoying the patronage of the gods, Horemheb achieved his great moment, and he travelled south to celebrate his coronation. At this point, we transition from the pre-royal to the royal, and the coronation inscription moves from the backstory to the ceremonies and celebrations. We covered those events and that story last episode. So this brings us to the end of the coronation inscription as a text. To round out this chapter, I'd like to take a quick look at what Horemheb is doing. After the break, we dive deeper into this text and see what Horemheb, the new pharaoh of Egypt, hoped to achieve. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Horemheb was born, favoured by the gods. They moulded him, guided him, and gave him a special destiny. Throughout his career, Horemheb would be the example of skill, good governance, and wisdom. He would stride the world like a colossus, bringing peace, justice, and security to his two lands. Horemheb would banish the forces of disorder. He was prophesied to bring balance to the Nile. 
Horemheb's backstory is a curious affair. On the one hand, it describes events or responsibilities that were genuinely part of Horemheb's career. On the other hand, the text is packed with revisions and exaggerations of the past. Horemheb had a purpose, and he pursued that goal doggedly. That being said, even the propaganda has a precedent. Horemheb's rise to power may have been slightly unusual, but it wasn't unique. And the way he crafted his story does follow certain trends. So, as we round out this episode, let's take a quick look at the text overall. What exactly was Horemheb doing? First and foremost, let's get the obvious out of the way. This text is propaganda. I use that term in the classic sense. It is media, visual or written, that is used to promote a certain point of view, and convince the audience of that view. In this sense, Horemheb's coronation inscription is genuine historical propaganda. He is trying to convince you that he deserves to be king, that his regime is legitimate. If there is one thing to take away from this text, it is that. Horemheb published a lengthy description of his childhood, career, and coronation. Not for fun, but because he wanted to establish his legitimacy as the new king of Egypt. The man came to power in difficult circumstances, and if there was any doubt about his authority, that would make Horemheb's reign far more difficult. With that in mind, the coronation inscription is, first and foremost, trying to establish legitimacy. So that's the main goal. But how exactly does Horemheb do that? The king uses several tricks to make his coronation more palatable. The first was that whole chosen one motif. Throughout the text, Horemheb repeatedly mentions the idea of various gods guiding and shepherding his rise. Horus, the god of kingship, is the star of this motif. From the moment of his birth, Horemheb claimed Horus's patronage and favour. Again, this is not a new idea. Different kings before Horemheb had used the god's favoured child in their monuments. The most famous examples are King Hatshepsut, Tutmos III, and Amunhotep III. All three of those rulers claimed some version of the gods made me and established me on the throne. So Horemheb was not making this up. He borrowed the idea from other rulers to justify his power. Another motif that Horemheb used to strengthen his claim was the motif of praise. More specifically, acclamation. Throughout his text, Horemheb repeatedly mentions how everyone, human and god, recognised his splendour and praised his excellence. Again, the goal here is legitimacy. If everyone recognises and acknowledges Horemheb's supremacy, then he becomes the best candidate for rule. The idea builds throughout the text, until Horemheb appears as king, and everyone, humans and gods, shouts praises for his rule. From start to finish, Horemheb's coronation inscription has an underlying emphasis on acclamation, praise from humans and deities that gives Horemheb legitimacy. 
Finally, there could be a mythological element to all this. Throughout the text, Horemheb invokes different gods as his patrons, and he identifies with certain deities. The main one, as I said, is Horus, but we also get references to Jehuti, or Thoth, and Ma'at. On the surface, these deities have a clear function. Horus is the lord of kingship, so his patronage guides Horemheb to the throne. Jehuti, Thoth, is master of wisdom and knowledge, and Horemheb emphasized those attributes in his career. Last, but definitely not least, Ma'at is both the goddess and the underlying concept of order, the fundamental basis of reality. By invoking Ma'at, Horemheb presented himself as one who would follow and maintain the cosmic balance. These references are simple, but effective. They establish Horemheb as a ruler who is legitimate through the patronage of Horus, wise through the example of Thoth, and traditional, he will follow the path of Ma'at. As far as holy trinities go, that is an excellent one to follow. So Horemheb uses divine patronage, repeated praise, and mythological references to establish his claim. These are the three major tools that Horemheb uses. They're not the only tools, but the others are slightly more intense and academic. If you would like to learn more, I recommend a specific work. In 2018, a scholar named Karen Maggie Bryson completed her PhD with a study titled The Reign of Horemheb. As you can imagine, this work was a godsend for someone like me. Dr. Bryson covers many aspects of Horemheb's rule in far greater detail and with far more insight than I could ever imagine. If you are interested in an up-to-date study of this period, I do recommend her work. Dr. Bryson's thesis is available in open access from the Johns Hopkins University website. I have put a link in the episode description, but if you search for Bryson, Reign of Horemheb, you should find it quite easily. I highly recommend this work. Horemheb's coronation inscription is overwhelmingly concerned with legitimacy. The new king used a variety of tools to make his ascent seem like a natural, orderly transition of power. The primary theme was divine favour. The gods honoured Horemheb, guided him through life, and chose him to be the next king. There was also an element of acclamation. People and deities recognised Horemheb as the true legitimate pharaoh. Finally, Horemheb referenced other gods and aspects of their mythology to build out his claim. Together, these references and motifs paint a picture of Horemheb as the divinely favoured, universally praised, and truly legitimate king of Egypt. It is a powerful theme, and it makes the coronation inscription a rather unusual text. On the one hand, we get an insight to his attitudes, and the things that he considered important in his life and career. Of course, we also get an idea of what was important for the new pharaoh. He wanted to appear as favoured by the gods, chosen by the gods, and a man whose authority and power was unlike any other. At the same time, we do get an insight into Horemheb's actual career, 
and what he considered important in those duties. In that sense, the coronation inscription is basically unique as far as pharaonic texts go. It is extremely rare to get a genuine sense of a ruler's personality. Usually it's 99% propaganda and formulaic pageantry. But here, we do get some sense of the man, and that is a rare glimpse behind the curtains of power. I appreciate it. It makes Horemheb a lot more personable than many other rulers. Whether we like him or not is beside the point. What matters is that we do have a sense of who this person was. So yeah, the coronation inscription is a work of propaganda. But it is an extremely valuable tool, and it offers us great insight into the world of this man. As Horemheb began his reign, he was determined to convince his audience that he deserved his power. The way he did that is really quite fascinating. This brings us to the end of Horemheb's rise to power. Over the past three episodes, we have seen how the new king took control and those who may have opposed him, how he celebrated his rule in coronation, and how he justified it with his elaborate backstory. Now we can embark on Horemheb's reign, his tenure as king, and what it means for Egyptian history. First up, it's time to meet the queen. Just before he took power, Horemheb married a woman named Mut Nojmet, and this lady might have an interesting background. Depending which scholar you read, Horemheb's queen may be the sister of Queen Nefertiti. That is our next episode. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. My thanks go to Deborah, Ken, and Matthew who made donations to the podcast, for which I am most grateful. Matthew, Ken, Deborah, thank you kindly. You are too generous. May Horus, the lord of Hutnesu, guide your path and career, and take you to the very heights of splendor. Also, special thanks must go to the priests. Linda, Terry, TJ, Yola, Mykost, Andy and Chelsea, Jason, Kendra, Evan, Kyla, Nidin, Stephen, Ashley, and Mark. Folks, your generosity knows no bounds, and I am in your debt. Surely, the great Jehuti, the lord of wisdom and learning, will fill your mind with knowledge, make your plans excellent, and guide you on the path of Maat. Thank you, once again, from the bottom of my heart. Last, but definitely not least, thank you all for listening. I hope you have enjoyed the show and I will see you soon. Onwards to the next chapter, in which we meet the new Queen of Egypt. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.